Messiah after not hearing from God for 400 years. And in a time when people felt broken, when people felt alone, when people felt, when people felt tired, when people felt like, hey, is God here with me right now? Jesus shows up into the world. And in Mark 14, we see Jesus sit down at a dinner to celebrate with his disciples something called Passover. And when he celebrates with them, what he's doing is he's putting the end of a Passover and he's starting something new because Jesus is the last Passover lamb. So I want you to turn your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 14. We're walking through the gospel of Mark. And in Mark chapter 14, we're going to begin in verse number 10. We're going to see the broken world that Jesus enters and the broken world that Jesus came to save. The broken world that Jesus entered on Christmas and the broken world that Jesus saves. In Mark 14 in verse number 10, it says, Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went unto the chief, pre unto the chief priests to betray him, to betray him unto them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray him. And the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? And he sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, Go ye into the city, and there shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wheresoever he shall go in, say ye to the good man of the house, The master saith, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. His disciples went forth and came to the city and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And in the evening he cometh with the twelve, and as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, One of you which eateth with me shall betray me. And they began to be sorrowful, and to say unto him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? And he answered and said unto them, It is one of the twelve that dippeth with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goeth as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were it for that man if he had never been born. And as they did eat, as they did eat, Jesus took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it. And he gave to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. He took the cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said unto them, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. So let's go ahead and pray and then we'll study Mark 14 and see the brokenness of Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your goodness to us and for, and for your grace in our lives. Thank you that you're the hope of the ages, that you came as God who became flesh, fully God and fully man. You, you lived among us. You took, you took on the lives that we lived. You lived that life perfectly, and then you, you, you gave up your life. You, you shed your blood, and you died to pay for our sins so that we could be forgiven, so that we could go from being broken to being made whole. Thank you that you were broken so that we could be whole. 
Lord, I pray that now as we see the brokenness of Christmas, as we see, uh, as we see all of the brokenness in this text, and yet you see that, you embrace it, and then you yourself are broken for us. May we be humbled, humbled by your gospel. May we be challenged to share that with, with others, the, the good news with others. And may we see you for who you are, a wonderful and glorious God who would lay down your life so that we could have new life. Lord, I pray that we would see you for who you are. May we love you more and love like you. And as a result, may we, may we be more like Jesus because of what we find in your word this morning. Thank you for everyone who's here. And if there's any person who does not know the love of Jesus, there's a person who's never known the forgiveness of sins that you so freely offer, may they receive you today. In Jesus' name, amen. First of all, this morning, I want you to notice the broken world that Jesus enters. In Mark chapter 14 and verse number 10, if you have a Bible, go ahead and look with me, or it may be up on, we could, if we could get it up on the screens, but Mark 14, verse number 10, it says, and, as, and Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went unto the chief priest to betray him unto them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought how he might conveniently betray him. And in this text, we see the broken world that Jesus enters. Jesus enters a world that is, is completely messed up. So that we've, been, we've been walking through the gospel of Mark, and this week is the last week of Jesus' life before he is crucified. In fact, Jesus is going to die on Friday, and this text that we just read and that we're going to be studying this morning is Thursday night. All right, so on Friday afternoon at 3 p.m., Jesus is going to say, it is finished. He's going to bow his head and he's going to die. This is Thursday evening. On Thursday evening, he gets together with his disciples. But what we see is we see that, that Jerusalem, we see that Israel, we see that, that a people called out and chosen by God are completely and utterly broken. First, we see that in the life of Judas. We see that in the life of Judas Iscariot in verse number 10. It says that Judas Iscariot goes to the Pharisee, goes to the chief priests to betray Jesus. Now you might say, well, why is that significant? What is so, what's so special about, about this guy betraying Jesus? I mean, after all, I've had people betray me. Uh, Judas is an, interesting, is an interesting character because Judas was one of Jesus's closest disciples. Jesus had, Jesus had many followers. I believe that he had, and many people believe that he had about 100,000 followers or more at this time. Jesus was extremely popular in Israel, but he had a group of 12 men that were extremely close to him. Uh, you might know their names. You might know some of their names, like, like Peter and Andrew, James and John. Uh, I like those guys, the sons, the sons of thunder, they're called. Uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. There's guys like Philip and, and Nathaniel, and there's all of these different guys. There's, there's Doubting Thomas, maybe you've heard of him. And then there is Judas. Judas was one of Jesus' closest 12 followers. And, and as I've thought about that, and we've been walking through the gospel of Mark, uh, if you've been with us since our Bible study days, whenever we, when we were meeting on, on Thursday nights before the church even got started, we started in Mark chapter one. And in Mark chapter three, uh, three years earlier, uh, Jesus calls his disciples. And if you remember way back, if you were with us, if you were with us, I guess a year ago, Jesus called his disciples so that they could be with him. He wasn't just calling minions who would go out and do his will. He was calling men who would go out and, and preach the good news, but he was calling people to be with him. Here's what he was calling. He was calling friends. 
He would say, hey, come and uh, learn from me. Come and, and follow me. Come and share the good news that I am preaching. But I want you to come so you can be with me. I want you to come and you're going to be my friend. In fact, it, at this supper that we're studying tonight, and it's in the Gospel of John. It's not in this account. But, but Jesus says, hey, you are my friends. You are my friends. In, in Jesus' most difficult hour in the Garden of Gethsemane that we'll see, uh, we'll see in, in a couple of weeks, Jesus is praying and he says, hey guys, I want you to come and pray with me. I want you to come and pray with me. You know, I've, I've had the privilege over, over several years now of ministry to have people call me and say, hey, Pastor David, would you please pray with me? My, my heart is breaking over something. Hey, would, would you pray with me? Uh, I have a loved one who's sick. Hey, hey, would you pray with me? I'm, I'm about to have surgery. Hey, would you pray with me? Uh, I have a family member who, who, who's done something that's breaking my heart. Would you pray with me? And I'm happy to do so. But here in, in, in the gospel, and when Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, he calls his followers, his friends, hey, come pray with me. Come pray with me. He says in John, I, my heart is sorrowful even to the point of death. Judas is one of those 12. Judas, Judas is the one who, uh, Judas is one of the ones who Jesus sent out and says, hey, I want you to go preach and I want you to go perform miracles. I want you to go perform miracles. I want you to, I want you to go reach out and I want you to go touch people. People who are sick are going to be made whole because I have given you power to touch them. Uh, this is Judas who, who whenever Jesus fed the 5,000, you remember when Jesus fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish and he told his, his disciples, hey, go out and organize everybody. Go have them sit down in groups and, and then I want you to take this bread that I'm going to break and I'm going to pass out and I want you to give it to them. Judas was one of those 12 that, that passed out the bread and he's, the one of, he's one of the 12 that passed out the fish and watched God perform a miracle and feed 5,000 men plus women and children. This is Judas who saw Jesus walk on the water and calm the storm by saying, peace be still. This is Judas who watched Jesus love people who would turn away from him. You remember the rich young ruler. It said that Jesus loved the rich young ruler. And that guy turned away. Judas watched Jesus' heart. Judas watched Jesus, as he raised Lazarus from the dead, and, 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 and as, Jesus, as Jesus wept, and as he watched, as, Jesus, as Judas watched Jesus' friends gather around him weeping, and Jesus go and turn around and, and raise Lazarus from the dead, Judas was there for that. He was there for all of it. And here in this, in this closest of suppers, Judas is going to turn around and he is going to betray Jesus. He's going to betray Jesus. We've seen it throughout the Gospel of Mark, especially lately, that, that the, the religious rulers of the day, the, the Pharisees and the priests and the scribes and the Sadducees, all those guys have been plotting for a chance to kill Jesus, and they haven't been able to figure out how to do it. Judas is going to make a way in the, in the darkness of night, whenever Jesus doesn't have his 100,000 followers around him who, who will have his back, who will be there with him, Judas is going to go betray Jesus by going to the chief priest and say, hey, I can, I can make a way for you to get a hold of Jesus. This is Judas. Judas, because of his betrayal, uh, his name has become, his name has become mud. Uh, in fact, if, if someone were to betray you, there's a chance that you might use the phrase, you know, you're just a, a Judas. You might say you're a, you're a Benedict Arnold or, or you're, you're a Judas. 
you're a traitor. That's who Judas is. He's not just, he's not just some random guy who said, hey, I, hey, chief priest, hey, I don't like Jesus either. I can, I can help you out. No, this is a guy who's walked with Jesus, who's talked with Jesus, who's learned from Jesus, who's watched Jesus perform miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. That guy betrays Jesus Christ. That's a broken world. That's a broken, messed up world. Yet there are, so we see the brokenness of, of Judas. Then we see the brokenness of the religious, of the religious, the brokenness of the priests. In verse number 11, it says, and when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money and they sought him how he might conveniently betray him. So it says that he goes to the chief priest. And, and if you're like me, whenever I read this, he goes to the chief priest. We've been walk, walking through the gospel of Mark and, and the chief priest, they're bad dudes, right? They're like, they're, 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 they're just, they're, I'm so sick and tired. I'm just going to be honest. Whenever I read about the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and I read about them now that we've been walking through Mark for the last year, uh, I'm just, I'm sick of those guys. Honestly, I'm looking forward to once I'm just, I'm going to, I'm just going to like, I'm going to share with you guys, I'm looking forward to in a couple of weeks, sharing with you all, all the wonderful things that we're asking God for in 2021. Uh, but I'm just telling you, after we finish Mark, uh, I have the next two books of the Bible that we're going to study. Uh, we're going to study 1 Thessalonians, which is, it's going to be an awesome study. And then we're going to study the book of Genesis, which is like the foundation for all of scripture. It's going to be amazing. And by the way, I just want to, on a side note, as I, as I talk about it being the foundation of scripture, let me challenge you in 2021 to be a student of the word. Be a student of the word. Uh, you're, it's gonna, it's gonna, it will radically change your life. First Corinthians says that when we behold the word of God, we behold it and it, it changes us. It impacts us. It makes us more like Jesus. We're changed from glory to glory, the Bible says. Be a student of the word. And, and in 2021, I'm so excited for all of, all of the wonderful things that we're gonna learn and see from the word of God. But in the New Testament, when we've been walking through Mark, I look at the priest and all of these different guys and think, man, these are terrible people. These, are the, these people are the opposition of Jesus. But did you know that in the Old Testament, they're the exact opposite? So in, in Mark, the, the priests, in the New Testament, the priests are the bad guys. In the Old Testament, the priests were chosen and picked out by God. You can read about it in the book of Exodus, where, where God chooses priests and what the priests job was, the priest's role was, is because man was too sinful to get to God. God made a way where you could have uh, your sins covered by the sacrifice of a Passover lamb, which is what Jesus is celebrating on this, on this evening that we're studying. Uh, but then you would make your sacrifice and the chief priest, the high priest, uh, guys like, like Aaron. Aaron was the first high priest. If you're familiar with, with who Aaron is, and, and there's different people throughout scripture uh, that, that, were, that filled, these, filled these roles. They would take your sacrifice and they would offer it to God. And when you would give that offering to God, you would watch as the priest would go into a place called the holy place or the holy of holies. And he would make that sacrifice to God. And then you would watch from the outside of the tabernacle or the temple as the smoke from your sacrifice, as the incense from your sacrifice goes up into the sky, goes up and goes up into the heavens. And you watch it as your prayers go up to God. The priest was the one who took your prayers to God. He's the one who took your sacrifice to God. In the Old Testament, that guy was, that guy was special. He was, he was the chief religious officer. And yet, while he was chosen, while the chief priests were chosen in the Old Testament to be stewards, 
of God's grace and to, and to be ministers of God's grace, in the New Testament, they are enemies of God's grace. They're enemies of God's grace. That's, that's, what, this, that's what becomes of this, of this religious crowd. That's what becomes of this, these religious leaders, these religious rulers, these religious people. And what they had done was they had put aside God and God's grace and they had turned it into, a, and they turned it into something where it was just all about themselves. By the way, it's so, it's so easy to judge those guys. It's so easy to judge, uh, to judge them until I remember that, that, that I'm a pastor. Uh, and that I, I, I remember that I'm a pastor and it's so easy whenever, whenever I've been given a calling from God to, to give you his word, to feed, to feed his people. And if I'm not careful, I can turn it into being all about myself. I think you're probably, with, you're probably with me because if you're honest, sometimes you can probably get into the routine of coming into church, uh, if, especially if you come to church regularly, coming into church and it turning into more of a, I wonder what kind of blessing I can get today. Uh, I, wonder if, I wonder how much I'm going to like the worship today. I wonder if, I wonder if pastor's going to have a good word for me today instead of coming in and us lifting our eyes to Jesus and who he is and his grace and his goodness. It's so easy. There's this brokenness of this religious crowd. Also, I do want to point out that that, we've, that, that is put away by Jesus in the New Testament. Those priests who would go, go to God on behalf of the people, that was put away because Jesus is our great high priest. Jesus is our great high priest. Whenever he died on the cross, he offered forgiveness for sin forever, forever. And then the Bible says that you are made, for, for those of us who are believers, he's made you into a priest who can go before God at any time. In the Old Testament, you, could, you didn't have access to God except for through a priest. But today you have access to God. You're called a, a priest and, G, and Jesus says, hey, come boldly, come boldly before the throne of grace. Come boldly before the throne of God. That's what Jesus provided through the cross. But we see the brokenness of his enemies. There's Judas, there's these religious, there's these religious priests the brokenness of his enemies. But then I want you to notice the brokenness of his friends. The brokenness of his friends. Look with me in verse number 12. It says, In the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? And he sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, Go ye into the city, and there shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wheresoever he shall go in, say ye to the good man of the house, the master saith, where is the guest chamber where I shall eat of the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. And his disciples went forth and came into the city and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And in the evening he cometh with the twelve, and as they did as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, one of you which eateth with me shall betray me. That's talking about Judas Iscariot. But then I want you to notice their response in verse number 19. Look in verse number 19. It says, And they began to be sorrowful and to say unto him one by one, Is it I? And then another said, Is it I? So we see the brokenness of Jesus' enemies and then we see the brokenness of Jesus' friends. So it's Passover night. It's Passover night. And this was a little bit confusing to me because Jesus dies on, at Passover on Friday at 3 p.m. Uh, but what I found from, from John MacArthur, John MacArthur said that uh, on Thursday night, on Thursday night, people from Galilee, so that's northern Israel, people from Galilee, they would celebrate Passover on 
on Thursday night. That's when they would have their Passover dinner. And then on Friday night, the people from Judea would have their Passover dinner. So Jesus and Jesus and his disciples, they were from Galilee. So on Thursday night, they are fulfilling the scripture by having their Passover on Thursday. And then on Friday, he's going to be the Passover, he's going to be the Passover lamb for all mankind. But they sit at dinner. So, so it's Thursday. It's Thursday. And then the disciples, they come up to Jesus. And I, I just love this. Like my imagination kind of ran wild with this a little bit because on Thursday, it says that they go to Jesus and they say to him, uh, they, said, they said to him uh, on the first day of unleavened bread. So that's on Thursday when they killed the Passover. His disciples said to him, where will thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? So they're saying, hey, Jesus, you know, it's Thursday afternoon. Uh, we're, we're kind of supposed to celebrate Passover tonight and it's kind of a big deal. So what are we eating? When, when are we eating? Where are we eating? And I was just thinking about that. I was like, what bums? Like these guys, it's like, you know, Jesus has been kind of busy. Remember, Jesus has been kind of been constantly attacked. Jesus has been teaching all day. You know, what, what were these guys doing? What were Andrew and Peter and James and John doing? It's like, come on, guys, could you not find a place? Could you not find a place to eat for Passover? Hey, Jesus, where are we going to eat? It reminds me of the time I was a teenager. And I just, whenever, if you're, if you're 13, if you're in seventh grade, you know, bless your soul. I'm sorry. Uh, it, it will pass. And I'm dreading the day that my kids enter seventh grade because I was a youth pastor for five years and there was just, there's something about seventh graders. But whenever I was in seventh grade, I remember one time I was out visiting, I was out visiting some people with one of my pastors. And typically what he would do is he would, he would go after we had made our, after we had visited people, after we had uh, reached out to people, he would take us uh, to a gas station and I'm a, I'm a Pepsi-holic. Like if we're gonna do Pepsi versus Coke, we've done this a couple of times. I'm not gonna put you through this again, but I'm just gonna say, if, if you know Jesus, you love Pepsi. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Lord, forgive me. Uh, that wasn't, that's not Bible. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he would normally take us out or I would get a cheese Danish, 79 cent cheese Danish and a Pepsi. It doesn't get better than that. Well, this one particular day, I was just, I was, I was excited. I was amped. I was ready for a Pepsi. So I said, hey, Pastor Bragg, um, hey, um, do you want a Pepsi? So he said, yeah, sure, let's go. So we go to the gas station and we walk in and I grab my Pepsi. And remember, I asked him, hey, do you want, do you want a Pepsi? And he said, he said, sure. So then we get up to the, we get up to the, we get up to the cash register and normally the person that invites pays, right? That's etiquette. Well, then he looks over at me and I said, well, I don't have any money. <laughs> so, I, so there he was and he, he laughed at me. I think he got a little bit mad at me. Uh, so then he pulled out his wallet. He bought us, he bought us stuff. And then he's never let me forget it. He's never let me forget it. In fact, if we ever get together, uh, he lives in Missouri now. He's a pastor in the St. Louis area. Uh, but if we get together, then whoever invites, the other one has to pay. Like that's just, that's our rule. Whenever we get together nowadays, uh, whenever we have the chance to get together, whoever invites, the other one pays. Uh, so, but, but that was my, that was my moment. And here's the disciples and the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, where are we going to eat? And I'm thinking, man, what, what? What bums? That's, that's what I'm thinking. But then I want you to notice, it's more than just that. They, Jesus, Jesus instructs everything, and I believe that there's, there's a reason for that. Jesus was keeping everything close to the chest. 
uh, so that Judas, because he knew Judas was going to betray him, and he knew that the, the religious rulers were after him. So, so he, he, Jesus works everything together. But what I want you to get is that in this moment of getting this dinner prepared, this Passover dinner prepared, the disciples don't contribute anything. Jesus is the one who works it all together. And then they go to dinner, and Jesus says at the dinner, he says, hey, so one of you are going to betray me. And then they, they answer, and this just, this, this really got me this week. They say, well, Jesus, is it me? Jesus, Jesus, is it me? And I didn't know what to think about that. I didn't know if it was like, if this was demonstrating great humility or was it, uh, or just how messed up are these people to say, oh, well, you know, I might, I might betray Jesus. So again, MacArthur on this said, um, that the, the tenses of this Greek verb, this, was, this came from Greek, the tenses of the verb was almost like, I can't believe this. The, their feelings would have been, I can't believe this. But then at the same time, they understand their own brokenness to say, could it be me? Could it be me? And you know what? Maybe today, friend, you are, you're like Judas. You are, you are anti God. Maybe you don't believe in God. Maybe your maybe your your Christianity like you just walked in and you don't know you don't know why you walked in or you don't know why you're you're watching this video. But but maybe you're like you're like you're you're Judas and and you're against God. Maybe maybe you're really religious. Maybe you're a person who's who's really religious and 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 you, you go through the rituals and you go through the routines and and you put on this show of religion, but you know on the inside you're nothing but empty. Or maybe you are a, you're a follower of Jesus and you're passionate and you're real and you're following Jesus. Can I tell you something? That no matter who you are, whether you consider yourself unreligious, religious, or, or a close follower of Jesus, we are all broken and messed up people. I am amazed. I am shocked at myself almost every single day at the thoughts that I can think or at the way that I can, the way that I can, I can snap at people, the way that I can, that I, the way that I can speak unkindly to, to my wife or to my kids. And I'm just thinking, man, why can't I get a hold of it? Why, why am I so broken? Why am I so broken? That's the world that Jesus entered. And the fact is, is it doesn't matter who you are or what your background is. It doesn't matter whether you came off of the street or whether you live in the nicest neighborhoods in Houston. We are all broken people. We're all broken people. It doesn't matter what your skin color is. It doesn't matter what your sexual orientation is. It doesn't matter what your religion is. We are all broken people. The brokenness of his enemies, the brokenness of his friends, that's what Jesus is in the middle of. We are broken people. But I want you to notice it doesn't end there. Because we see the broken world that Jesus enters, but then we see the broken world that Jesus saves. The broken world that Jesus saves. And the fact is, is we sing about the hope of the ages and we, say, we sing about that glorious day and we sing about the, the offer to come all you unfaithful. Uh, no, you are not alone because Christ is born. Christ is born. Christ is born for you. And we see it in verse number, in verse number 21. It says, the son of man indeed goeth as it is written of him. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. And then in verse number 22, Jesus says, Take, eat. He, bre- he, bre- he took the bread, he blessed it, and he broke it. And he gave to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said unto them, This is 
my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. First of all, I want you to notice the, the brokenness, the bro- that broken bread, that broken bread. He takes it, he blesses it, and he breaks it. And he says, you see this bread? This is what I'm going to endure. Just like this bread is being broken, I will be broken for you. And he takes that bread and he gives it to Judas and he gives it to Peter. He gives it to the one who's going to betray him and he gives it to the one who's going to deny him. He gives it to them all. He was broken. And then, and that's, that's, that's a symbol of what he's, going to, what he's going to go through. Because in just a few short hours, Jesus himself is going to be broken. Roman soldiers, not, not, not wimpy guys, the most powerful, the strongest, the most intense soldiers in the world at that time are going to, in just a few short hours, they're going to, they're going to beat him with their fists. They're going to take their hands and they're going to put it on his beard and they're going to rip out his beard with their bare hands. He's going to, they're, they're, going, to take a, they're going to take a whip with, with, with bone and with glass and with rocks attached to it and they're going to go and they're going to beat his back. They're going to beat his body. He is literally going to be broken. And then in, whenever he gives out the cup, whenever he gives out the cup, he gives it to them and he goes, and he says this. He says, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Jesus wasn't broken. Jesus wasn't beaten. Jesus didn't die on accident. He did it as a transaction. He did it as a transaction. First John 2 says that he is the propitiation for our sins. Now that's a word that we don't use that we don't use. But the word pr- propitiation is the idea of an exchange. An exchange. So for example, uh, it's Christmas time. You will go to a store, or may have already gone to a store, and you'll get a gift, and you'll make an exchange. You will give the store money, and they will give you what you're buying as a gift. Jesus said he shed his blood for many. Jesus made an exchange. He shed his blood for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for you. Christ died for me. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God that Jesus purchased, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. Because Jesus sacrificed himself, because he died on the cross, because he shed his blood, you and I have forgiveness for sin. So Jesus enters a broken world so that he could be broken so that you could be whole. So that I could be whole. 
so that you could be forgiven for every sin that you've done. So that you can be given a new identity. As many as received him, to them gave he power. He gave them the right to become the sons and daughters of God. He wants to make you his child. That's why he died. That's why he gave his life for you and for me. Jesus entered a broken world so that he could be broken, so that you and I could be made whole. And it doesn't matter if you're irreligious or religious or, or, or anywhere in between. Jesus was broken because you were broken. And he wants to make you whole. So this Christmas, if you're feeling broken, if you're feeling lonely, if you're feeling anxious, if you're feeling alone, then you are in perfect position to remember that Jesus, he was born for you. And he lived the perfect life that you could never live for you. And he died for you. And he rose for you. And he's coming again for you. That's who Jesus, that's who Jesus is. And my friend, for those of us who know Christ, this week should be the greatest celebration, not because of, of a tree, because of the tree or the presence or the lights, but because he was born, he was born for us. So this week, let's go out. Let's go out this week and share that with the world. Share that with your loved ones. Share that with your family. Be that salt and light. Love Jesus because of what he has done. And then let's go out and love like Jesus. And today, if you have never received Christ as your own savior, Christ was born for you. You can receive him today. If you would all please bow your head and close your eyes. We're going to pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your goodness to us. And thank you for the fact that you were born for us. Thank you that when we were broken and alone, and we still are in so many ways, we're so broken. Yet you embraced this broken world. You embraced this, this broken person. And you were broken so that you could make us whole. And we thank you for that. We love you for that. We worship your name because of that. And Lord, I pray that if there's any person today who does not know Christ, may they receive you today in Jesus' name. Would you please keep your eyes bowed and eyes closed for just a moment. We're about to sing a song about what Jesus has done, about the price that he paid for you and for me. Uh, but over here by, by this giving sign, Jaden's gonna be standing over here. And if you would say, Pastor David, I have never received this good news that Jesus came and died for me, but I would like to receive him. Then while we sing this song together as a, song, as a final song of worship and of prayer, then I, I would ask you, if you want to know how you can receive Christ as Savior for yourself, then go over and walk over to Jaden, and he would love to show you from the Bible how you can know for sure that you're on your way to heaven. Christian, believer, this truth should humble us. And this truth should comfort us because Christ came for you. You are loved by God. You are, you are his child. You are his beloved. That should humble us and that should fill us. Let that fill your heart this Christmas. Let's all stand together and sing this final song together. Jesus.